Hello, speech and debaters, experts, and everybody else watching. Welcome back to Half Hour. In today's episode of UU's Approval, we are going to be talking about prep for midterms. A topic that we've been planning for really the season two premiere, but then we decided that we were going to make that row being overturned because that's exactly the thing that happened. So, uh, this is a really important topic as we get to the midterm elections, which eventually we'll do some kind of discussion about that. And for certain, you're probably going to hear me make a prediction later in this episode about what I think will happen and what I actually think um, will occur in the House and the Senate. And we'll come back to the 2022 midterm episodes and we're going to find out what's going on. If you're new to this channel, how this works is we start with a little bit of housekeeping. Then we have an intro, then we have some background information. Then we have some possible questions. And then the show will end. My name is Spencer. That's you, 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 how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's like 11.44 p.m. I'm hyped up on caffeine from drinking a Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, it's been great. Living the good life. Living the good life. Um, but we basically want to say also Spencer's prediction is wrong. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we do want to preface we are definitely not experts in like this field, we don't do the calculation or like the observation of what's going on on the actual campaign ground. So we don't really know for sure, for sure. Like some of the other people who are like more into the data side of political science are um, in terms of predicting what's gonna happen in the midterm elections. However, we are previous extempers with at least four years of experience and we like to read a lot of news, so. Whatever happens on the news, we'll give it to you in a little blurb here. Um, but before we do begin, a couple of housekeeping things. Basically, we're going to come out with a little mini blog post of what to expect for the season, kind of a wrap up of the previous season, and also maybe some hints here and there about what you should be expecting and what you should do if you're interested in how our videos are going and what topics we cover. So stay tuned for that. It'll probably be posted through the One Clap Podcast's um, own website where the blog posts are. And honestly, we also have like a little blurb of what's going to happen on our YouTube channel. You should check it out and then subscribe. I'll remind you at the end of this episode too. But yeah, and also another note is that this video, this is like the second time that we're gonna record this video just for quality assurance purposes. We want to ensure that we're giving you the best information that we can as we are aware that this is being used as a resource for you. And we wanted to reflect a lot of the things that Extempers should know um, and also general audiences should know and kind of dig deeper into. So hence the second recording. <laughs> Without further ado, Spencer, if you don't mind starting us off. So you use in a rush because she's tired. That's basically what she just said there. Anyway, yes, we'll go ahead. Let's start off with some background information. Let's start off with a quote. Quote, this is a wonderful result for America and a complete rebuke of the unselect committee of political hacks and thugs. Liz Cheney should be ashamed of herself, the way she acted, and her spiteful, sanctimonious words and actions towards others. Now she can finally disappear into the depths of political oblivion, where I am sure 
she will be much happier than she is right now. Those are words posted by former President Trump on his social media platform after Cheney's loss to Trump-backed Harriet Hageman in Wyoming's primary. And this is the nature of how midterms in the United States are unfolding this year. In Liz Cheney's concession speech, she noted that the right thing to do was to stand up for her country and its constitution. She did just that. Unfortunately, this is a society that where doing the right thing, i.e. speaking out, loses your election. Normally with an episode like this, and you, you can attest to this, I can attest to this, I do a lot of political theory crap and explain why I think this is one way or another. And while that political theory is really cool, to a bunch of novices, it may, may not make a bunch of sense. So instead, I'll give a general gist into the realm of politics that are based on the Cheney election. It's political theory light, as I'll term it. The unfortunate truth is that politics in modern society rewards people for doing the wrong thing. Let's take a couple of examples. Take Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example. Do you remember when she made those comments about Jewish space lasers? Or is this the first time that you've heard about it? Well, she, along with many other members of the GOP, have pointed fingers at the Jewish people on several occasions. Why? Because it receives clicks on the media, which helps support their re-election campaigns because people are willing to donate them. That's the name of the game. This is real politics that exists in society. And trust me, this exists on both sides. Senator Elizabeth Warren questioned cryptocurrency a while back, saying, quote, when you buy crypto, are you buying air? The same reasons persist. It is to drive people who are against digital currencies to fund her re-election campaign. We can point to a number of different instances in which this happens, right? It's not just Marjorie Taylor Greene or Elizabeth Warren, right? You can look at Harriet Hageman, who beat Liz Cheney, taking just the simple, obvious facts of pointing out that the 2020 election was stolen as Harriet Hageman's drive to earning her earning people who fund her for the 2022 election. But that's kind of the point is all of this is about doing the wrong thing. And ultimately it leads to your chances of being elected to be much higher. You will have a little bit more information about her perspective on that a little later, but a good way to look at this is to see who those who have voted to impeach Trump and how they've done in midterm primaries. And what we've seen is that we've had four people lose primaries. We've had four people retire and two that actually won. So two of the Republicans that won of the original impeachment 10, as the New York Times calls it, ended up being back in the being back in the race for their election. Let's break it down and let's kind of explain a little bit about each one. Starting with Liz Cheney. We've talked about this just a little bit, but she lost in Wyoming on August 16th. 
and it was evident that this was going to happen as a part of the January 6th committee. She was once a Republican Party leader, being third in line to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. But the January 6th committee and her impeaching her and her impeaching Donald Trump lost her the primary. Representative Jamie Butler of Washington's third district lost on August 9th, and she conceded to Trump backed Joe Kent. Really, not much else to that story. Representative Peter Meyer of Michigan's third district lost on August 2nd. His race was close, but narrow just happens to not be enough. He lost to the former Trump official, John Gibbs. Representative Tom Rice lost on June 14th. The thing about Rice that is interesting, he voted twice for Trump and he campaigned twice for Trump. However, Rice thought that the Capitol riot was inexcusable. And that's when his opponent got endorsed by Trump. And evidently, that caused him to lose the election. Those are the four people that voted against Trump or that voted to impeach Trump and ultimately lost their elections. But there are four people that retired from Congress. Representative Fred Upton on April 5th decided to retire after 30 years. Now, this is a typical move by someone when they are ready to retire to not give in to where the party's direction is going, but also Upton received death threats too. And if you ever notice this, when people claim, when people say that they're going to retire, keep a note of their track record and how it changes. It, jumping back to Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney had a 97% voting with Trump record. But after the impeachment, if she was still technically voting with Trump, it dropped to 93. Now, that might not be a big change, but it's enough to be noticeable. And it gives in to show that she's not in for where the entire party is going. But continuing on to the people who retired, Representative John Katko on January 14th announced his retirement as well. And this is partly because his partisan, his party was not appreciative of the impeachment vote nor the bipartisanship. So once again, not giving in to where the party is going. Typical result. Representative Adam Kissinger, very notable name, announced his retirement last year. And like Upton, Kissinger received death threats, but this time from the people that voted for him and partly because of his involvement in the January 6th committee. Representative Anthony Gonzalez also announced his retirement last year. He said that he would rather retire than face a ferocious primary. Oh, and he also faced death threats among, along with his safety for his wife and children. But there were two people that did win the primary. Representative Dan Newhouse did win his primary against, against a Trump-backed opponent. This is because Washington state has an open primary system that allows the top two candidates to advance the general. Hmm. Seems like open primaries can actually be more supportive of moderates. Interesting thought. Is that theory completely backed up? Not really. And lastly, Representative David Velado, definitely pronounced that wrong, did win his primary, but he never got a Trump-backed opponent. So he never really got anything against Trump. By the way, 
Remember when I mentioned that doing the wrong thing typically gets you rewarded in politics? You, you, I think the midterms have somewhat proved that. I think that we can see that, I mean, really, we're only looking at six midterm elections or six primary elections, but four have been lost and four people that would have probably ran for another two years or ran for another two years to be in office ended up retiring because of what happened. So the midterms seem to be a focus for Republicans on making their stance about election integrity and what exists in the United States. Yeah, I think definitely it's a really interesting theory to kind of talk about and explore. Um, However, I do want to like push back against that a little bit um, and clarify a couple of things. I think when we're talking about right things versus wrong things, we're not really talking in the sense of like, what is the morally right thing to do versus what is the morally wrong thing to do? Um, We're talking in the sense of like, what do the voters want? And how does the candidate's actions reflect what voters want? Um, or reflect how they didn't actually listen to their own constituents. But going back to this idea, though, I think like making wrong moves and right moves for politicians and candidates alike isn't really like dependent on the moves themselves. More so, it's kind of dependent on how the constituents have viewed the actions by their candidates and how campaigning has gone in the process of the actions that they have done. So constituents' voices do matter. Like as a candidate, you are supposed to be um, representing the people in your district or as like a senator, you're representing the people in the state and kind of the views of the state. However, I do think that there is a lot of credit to be given for on the campaign side of things where candidates are consistently talking to um, constituents or important members of their party so they can get those get those endorsements and be able to use that as a way to win their elections in their states, in their districts, um, and be able to kind of like gain popularity that way. So in that sense, it's seems like less reliant on what their stance is and what they have done on hot button issues, but more so like for the people who actually go to the ballot, who care to vote and who care what their constituents or not constituents, who their representatives, senators, politicians for their state are doing. um, And what have the candidates done to kind of appeal to those type of voters, whether that is through campaign work, meeting with them, town halls, actions within their own state, policies that they've passed, things like that, Um, rather than just solely reliant on like how these actions that they have done have blown up in the media. But we can talk more about that later. Um, So as you may have seen, there's so much to dive into the midterm elections, but I do want to take a closer look at what's expected to go down in the midterms and what other things have influenced the potential results of the midterms, or at least influence what people think is going to happen in the midterms. So many of the current events that we've covered on the half hour plays a role in influencing the midterm elections and how they're going to go. It's mainly a question of whether those issues are enough to drive the right voters to the ballot box. And we'll talk a little bit about who the right voters are through the rest of the section. So prior to everything that happened this summer, almost everyone thought that the um, 
or sorry. So prior to everything that happened this election, almost everyone thought that it was going to end up to be a huge red wave and win for the Republican Party or the GOP. The reason why people were expecting a red wave this election was because of both President Biden's initial failures or things that were pinned on him when he started his presidency with things like pulling troops out of Afghanistan and inflation being like the major issues that people paid attention to and judged their candidates based off. It also seemed like many things that Biden was trying to get past were stalled in mainly the Senate, not to mention his approval ratings has been as low as or lower than any other president in the past, which tends to reflect on the candidates that people are going to be voting for in the midterms. Usually it's because constituents haven't really been paying attention to what specifically the candidate has done, but how the president's actions and what the media's favorable outlook or unfavorable outlook um, of the president has influenced kind of like what their constituents in a particular state views their candidates in that state. But other things like the January 6th commission and the recent FBI search of the Mar-a-Lago for classified documents have been things that have also influenced people's opinions in terms of deciding who they're going to vote for, or even potentially sway some voters to vote a particular way. However, it is good to note that the January 6th hearings have revealed a lot of information that former President Trump might have wanted to kept or wanted to be kept secret. And also the FBI did have a legal search warrant and found classified information like nuclear weapons documents that former Trump had, President Trump had taken with him. Nonetheless, more Republican voters or voters that favor Trump have taken these past actions as failures of the Biden administration and a winch hunt against their innocent president. Um, I think some of these cases also brought a lot of just concerns among some independent voters, which are usually the voters that people tend to sway a particular direction since they're the ones that like will be dependent on a couple of things here or there on who they're going to vote for in the midterm elections or just elections in general. However, it is good to note with recent events and new wins for the Biden administration that things might be looking up for the Democrats. But don't take this to mean that the Democrats will win both the House and the Senate again. It probably for sure, like 95% for sure, that's not a real statistic from a source. That's just like my estimation of that statistic. It won't be an overwhelming win for the GOP um, and loss for Democrats, but it will be closer than expected. And the Democrats are not expected to win both the House and the Senate. So it seems like the Senate has a good chance of reclaiming some Republican seats and the House has a more of a chance of losing their majority. But what really has changed? Well, for starters, the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe and reduce the EPA's oversight capabilities, along with decisions that supports gun rights, have made constituents weary about voting for the Republican Party. It's motivated some to even start voting for like Democrats or just voting in general. In elections like these, it's mainly independent voters that need persuading from one side or the other in order for them to vote for one side or the other. For some independents, these issues were just enough to motivate them to go vote for Democratic leaders. Moreover, the increase in mass shootings like at Uvalde and Buffalo, along with the GOP's adamant attitude toward keeping gun rights, has also motivated voters to vote for the Democratic Party as they are rightfully concerned about their safety and their children's safety as well. There has also been a recent surge of employment and a reduction of inflation, which looks good for the Biden administration because it seems like they are also improving economic concerns that were really big concerns at the start of the Biden um, presidency. 
Furthermore, the Biden administration, along, along with Congress, has passed bills that were huge deals, like the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the CHIPS Act. These bills advocated for some of the most radical changes that Congress in the U.S. has ever seen compared to previous bills, which gave the Biden administration a boost in popularity. The bills address things like climate change, health care, gun control, and more. However, on the flip side of this, some Democratic voters, mainly ones that have been more towards center, um, have become disillusioned with the party and feel that they need to express their views through not voting at all or changing their vote to a red vote. So kind of some wins and losses in that kind of department. However, Senate-wise, polling averages reveals that Democrats would narrowly keep their imperiled seats in Arizona, New Hampshire, Georgia, Nevada, and pick up seats in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin, and have a fighting chance in um, adding North Carolina as well if votes happen today. On the House side, again, it's almost certain that Republicans will gain back a few seats enough for like a narrow majority and that we won't be able to keep both the House and the Senate. But we do have better chances of keeping, or I guess in this sense, it would be regaining the Senate for the Democrats. Keep in mind that when a president's approvals rating is low, it often reflects on candidates in states and districts, which means there will be losses, but there can also be wins too. Ultimately, the midterms really depend on which party can get the most voters to the ballot and how each action has been taken legislatively or on the campaign that will play out um, in terms of determining what happens with the midterm elections. And yeah, these, I mean, evidently these midterms are probably going to be close. Um, I probably won't find the poll again. Um, I think just to give an idea, a couple of weeks ago or something, uh, CBS, prior, prior to the Wyoming primary, um, CBS News did like their poll of where um, things were going to be and how it was all going to line up. I think they said it was going to be if if the election happened at that time and polling data was accurate. And just to be completely fair, polling data is not accurate. We we know that based off of the past. But if polling data was accurate and it was at the time, it was going to be like a Republican win in the House and they would gain they would have a 22 seat majority. This is kind of what we're looking at. Um, it it seems to be definitely favored for Republicans to win that to win the House, and that kind of brings us into the first question here. You, you, is it too late for the Democrats to win the House? I guess I can take a stab at that question first. Um, I want, I guess, like. Honestly, from what we've talked about, it really seems like we should just say like, yes, it is too late for the Democrats to win the House. However, I'm going to play like devil's advocate for a little bit and have actually a more optimistic outlook on the midterm elections and say that, yeah, uh, no, that it's not too late for Democrats to win the House. And like the couple of points that you could bring up in order to support this position would be things that like, look. The midterm isn't here yet. We don't actually know how constituent voters are going to vote. Um, and recently, Democrats have had huge wins. And it seems like Republicans have had pretty big, maybe not even big, but just like a lot of losses as Democrats have gained these wins. And in this sense, it makes it seem like you can sway particular voters in 
certain districts that like require them to kind of like really think about what their own candidate has done and kind of their views on their own candidate. Now, like granted, I did say it does kind of like tend to sway some voters to vote um, blue or like start voting generally because of like actions done by past um, representatives that were Republican and kind of like doing things like not supporting abortion rights or not supporting gun legislation, gun control legislation, and kind of saying things that scare their constituents or scare independent voters. However, again, on the other side of that, um, just depending on how you look at the start of the presidency versus now in the middle of the presidency, what has really happened um, and evaluating whether or not the Biden administration and the Democratic Party took a lot of losses that just can't outweigh any of the benefits that they have, which has swayed a couple of voters to not vote blue anymore or to not vote at all, which is still really important and significant in determining if that like district has won um, a Republican seat or a Democratic seat. Again, like lots of things have been done. We know for Wyoming, it's like one district because we're not like big enough as a population to have more than that. Um, and among Wyoming constituents, there were still some people that voted for Cheney and liked what she did for the January 6th hearing and also just generally liked what she did for the state of Wyoming. However, like Hagman, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Hagman did win the primary for that. And that just kind of like reflects how this constituents in the Wyoming one district tended to vote. But honestly, these aren't the states that we kind of look at to determine whether or not there are going to be wins for the Democratic Party or losses, like significant losses to where the Republican Party is going to gain the majority. You really want to look at the states that have these swing districts or these districts that have like independent voters or just other voters that have changed their minds or have like realized they wanted to vote for the other party because they just felt like their own party or the incumbent um, representative was just not doing enough for the constituents in that state. And honestly, just bring up things kind of like, depending on how your campaign is going to go, depending on what you have done for your the constituents themselves, that is all going to play a part in how those constituents are going to vote at the midterms. And it's not just these big things that you see in news and media um, and what news and media tends to emphasize being like the hot button issues that influence how a voter tends to vote. All right. That's a lot to comprehend. Um, you makes a good argument. I think the evident answer to this is probably going to be no. Um, I, and you, you calling the optimistic outlook totally being biased. Unbelievable there. You, you, wow. Unbelievable. I kid. It's not biased. It's just here are the other arguments that you can make. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Clear Democrat over there. I'm sorry. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're both Democrats. Uh, but he, here, here's the way that, here, here's why I think it's too late for the Democrats to win the House. And I use a little bit more of like kind of statistics and some history with this. I know you, you said that at 
you, you will make an argument later that the statistics and history is bound to be outdated at some point, right? And it'll probably wow. change. Isn't it so, convenient that we've already recorded this? And I know. know what you're say. <laughs> so, but but here but here's kind of the way to look at this. I provided a couple links, or I provided one big link, and this is the history of the U.S. Congress. And you can notice in more recent times, and it's specific to the Senate. If you were to open this up and you were to compare to how midterms have changed over time, you'll notice that the minority party in the Senate typically has a very strong outcome in either the House or the presidency in the next election. So why is this the case? Well, the minority party gets a lot of media attention for one particular big reason, the filibuster. Okay. Think about the number of bills that you continuously hear that you are like, wow, this sounds great. And then gets filibustered, right? It's, it's, it's a sign of power, right? And it shows how powerful that system and that mechanic is in the Senate. Now there's a lot more about Senate minority and how the Senate works, that causes this to be the case. But effectively, the argument made here is that the filibuster is so powerful that Democrats were too late to win the House when Biden was elected and Democrats won the Senate. So it's it's essentially just a statement there, right? A really good example of this one, you, you, is, well, let's just talk about the simple the simple ones, right? Trying to protect abortion, right? Same-sex marriage, okay? Like the big Supreme Court topics, right? Admittedly, those Supreme Court rulings were wins for Republicans, right? And that does, in fact, drive Republicans to want to vote for Republicans and bring more Republicans to the poll, okay? But the filibuster blocking these other bills here shows the power the Republicans really have in stopping these from taking place and wanting more people that believe in these and to believe in this, to vote for them. So that the power of the filibuster really provides a strong and ample piece of evidence as to why outcomes occur in this specific matter. We, the way that I explained this in the previous recording that we did, right, was if you look back to right when Obama became president, right, every time the minority party in the Senate was there, or whatever the minority party in the Senate was, the outcome in the House was always favorable to the minority party. Right? And it, it existed Right since right before President Obama, obviously this dates further. It's just when I we recorded this, I didn't have time to look through the whole thing, right? I just looked it up really quickly. But that's where the evidence suggests. We can just let's just think about this quickly. Recently, right? Prior to 2016, it was Republicans that had the minority in the Senate. Then they flipped the Senate. They flipped the, or they still had the House, and they got the presidency. In 2018, 
they remained the majority party in the Senate. But because Democrats are the minority, they were able to flip the House. Essentially, the argument here is Democrats were screwed when they won the Senate. It, it really give, gave Republicans a strong outcome for the House. And I don't think that there is good enough evidence to suggest otherwise. Like this isn't, this is not polling. This is why does this happen? This is logistical things that occur that make it to the media, right? Obviously, not everything that happens in the media is what people vote on. I hope that's not always the case. It's a good chunk of what people vote on. But yeah, I think like what Spencer basically is trying to say is just like historical evidence will point to a loss for Democrats in the House. Um, and definitely for sure, redistricting has a big part to play in how elections or like midterm elections in the House are going to look after elections have passed. And that's just because of redistricting and gerrymandering, um, which is just like what Spencer explained. Um, but that's just like the actual word for what that means. And the reason why that is, is because representatives, you know, they represent a district. And if that district was like blue for a very long time because of the constituents that were part of that district, um, but then got redistricted to incorporate some of like the redder um, parts of different parts of the state, um, basically just like constituents who vote Republican or tend to vote Republican, then that makes it a very competitive district or just simply like a district that is going to be favorable towards Republicans over Democrats. Um, And that's kind of gonna be like the biggest key thing to identify and kind of explain when you go with a yes answer for this question. However, I will say, I do think there is still strength in a no answer and that you can still make the no answer if you want to be a little bit more optimistic or if you wanted to take it up as a challenge there is good evidence to suggest that like democrats are going to have a more favorable win or like favorable outlook than is predicted by most people it's not going to be a like immediate rush of red and it's not going to be a major win for Republicans. If anything, it will be like narrow majority in the House or the chance where Democrats still keep a very, 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 very slim um, majority in the House. But then again, at that point, it's still like a win for Republicans because they did gain some seats in that sense. However, on the history point, what we basically talked about like in the episode that we recorded before was that recent pollings or just like recent feelings suggest that it might be leading towards more of a shift in some districts, or at least there's going to be more of a shift towards a different type of outlook for the midterm elections in which it won't be as red as one expects. Like even in like the data collected by political scientists examining this, they have found that comparatively just throughout history, Democrats have had a better chance of winning the midterms than they've had in the past, which suggests that like we are heading towards the trajectory where midterms can be more favorable for the incumbent or for like the party that the president that like the president currently sits on 
is. However, it is good to know that like in our day and age, that's probably not going to be an indication of like that big change just yet. But it is something to keep an eye out for in future elections, um, especially with like the 2024 presidential elections and then the 2026 midterm elections after that, which will be really, really interesting. And I don't know if we're going to stick around that long to find out. We'll see where life takes us. Um, But but yeah. One last comment and we can move on if you want. Um, I. I agree with a lot of the political science research that you're mentioning. It's becoming more evident that the majority party in the house at some point in time will end up with a greater chance of winning. Okay. Um, We do see that this is likely to happen in the near future. I just don't think that that's going to happen 2022. Um, I don't think it's, that time yet it's getting really close though and that that's kind of what the evidence suggests is it's veering in that direction is we're getting close to the point in time where the majority party in the house will probably retain itself and that's kind of the argument behind if that happens do we hit authoritarianism and that's kind of the question that we don't know the answer to yet is what does that suggest about our democracy bold statements Mm, lots of things to think about i'm not going to give like a bold answer immediately on what i think is going to turn out i'm just going to wait for the results play it safe you know but i do think that there is still like a significant interest that like a significant thing to pay attention to um, is how campaign trails are going for the candidates up for re-election and what they're really doing and how they've represented their district or not have represented their district. Like that's going to be a big thing to look at. And I know that like there are representatives before that have lost their election because they did not pay attention to their constituents. It did not represent their voices, um, both on the legislative side, like the government, federal government side, but also for their own district as well. Um, And I think like district wise, if you pay attention to what they're doing and who they're really representing, kind of like the rhetoric behind that, it'll be like really interesting and maybe like closer than you think it might've been, um, which is like really significant in the political science realm. And also, so next question. Um, the second question that we have is, is former President Trump making it harder for Republicans to win control of the Senate this fall? So we've done the House, now we're gonna do the Senate. My answer to this is yes. So I think Democrats retain the Senate I think they win it. That may sound like a very hot take after saying that the Republicans are going to win the House. Um, This makes actually the most sense when you look at like Obama's presidency and you see how the midterms kind of played out. Um, Once again, looking back at that website, looking at statistics, right? The statistics and the history it's pretty clear that in the Senate, what happened was 
you had a retain of Democratic majority for the entire time that Obama was there. And that just gave Republicans more and more of an edge per midterm and per presidential election um, on the House, right? So this is this is a evident yes. Um, obviously, looking at stats of things, um, I mean, I'm not going to fully answer the question yet, I guess, because I'm, it's about former President Trump, right? But Evidently, I think the Senate gains Democratic seats because there's more people that are going to vote for a senator than there is going to be for voting for a representative in the House, okay? which means that you're more likely to have urban cities voting. And that will increase the amount of Democratic voters. Right. I think I mentioned this last time. I don't remember if how true this is, if the entire population of a state votes for both senators, or if some states do split it down, um, split it into two. I don't recall if that's with every state. Um, I think it's a state-by-state law. might be a state-by-state thing. I don't know. I don't remember. That's fine. So it's kind of all about that, to be truthful. Uh, But Admittedly, this was probably going to go to the Democrats anyway, because if Democrats, if Republicans win the Senate and the history remains the same, why would Republicans want to win the Senate when Democrats clearly would have the minority party get the opportunity to filibuster and then flip the House back in their favor in 2024? I mean, if statistics prove themselves to be true, as in what happens in 2022, this is a very bad outcome for Republicans. And I think you you, you would probably agree with me there. If like if the statistics prove themselves to be true in 2022, Democrats having the minority in the Senate is really bad for Republicans. That is just truthful. So coming back to the question, former President Trump making it harder for Republicans to win control of the Senate this fall? Honestly, yes. And I think that's because it's a good thing for President Trump to make it harder for for Republicans to win, because this is going to give Republicans that opportunity in 2024. So I think that this is a I think that this is kind of perfectly timed for this to happen, for these issues with his legal battles, for um, the FBI coming into Mar-a-Lago, for the January 6th committee. I really think that this is all perfect timing. And this really gives them a good shot for 2024. So I'm going to answer to this, yes, he is making it harder. But yes, as in a good thing for Republicans, because that gives them a good chance in 2024. Oh, by just popular vote and just meaning that like the whole state votes for whatever senator that they want to win for their to represent their state. Um, And that's usually how we determine whether or not that state is going to get like 
all Democratic senators or all Republican senators. And yes, some states do split it up between like Republican senators and um, Democratic senators. But those are like exceptions. And I don't even remember what those states are, but there are states with exceptions. Um, And that's usually kind of an indicator to political scientists and me that President Trump is making it harder for them to win those midterm elections because public opinion about President Donald Trump or former President Donald Trump, I should say, um, has like decreased or just been bad, especially with the raid of Mar-a-Lago, especially with what we found out through January 6 hearings, and especially as he continues to make comments um, that are just kind of rude, but also still like big statements that people find off-putting or just generally don't like. Um, And in other words, just some voters don't want to see Trump or Republicans get a win because it seems like if Republicans get a win, that is a win for Trump. And that could be an indication that Trump could win in the 2024 elections. And some people don't want that. And so they are going to vote blue just to show that like Democrats still have a chance. Um, And because again, like senators don't rely on winning district votes. They rely on kind of the popular vote of the state. And so majority wins. And that's kind of like the indicators as to why this question's answer is a yes. Uh, However, if you were to say no to this question, I still think there are like viable answers to it. Um, For example, like former President Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago raid did not sit well with a lot of Republican voters and maybe even didn't sit well with independent voters because it seems like a breach of privacy or just something that was super extreme, overblown by Republican Party members who wanted to kind of like show their constituents like, oh, my God, look at this happening. Your security's in line, things like that. Um, other things could be in just like terms of how President Trump is former President Trump has been painted by Republican members um, and painted by the media itself, depending on which news source that you're looking at and what that news source's audience is like. And that could be an indicator that people do still find it a witch hunt that they're targeting Trump with the January 6th hearings, or it just seems like we are going down a path towards autocracy, which is really bad um, because of like all this targeting on the Republican Party. Um, So those are a couple of like things to consider if you're trying to say no to this question. I guess like another thing to consider too is that we've seen former President Trump at like campaign rallies for Republicans and the Republicans who have like openly supported Trump have been also openly getting votes as well, which seems to indicate that maybe former President Trump isn't making it harder for these senators to like win re-election. However, do consider the other things as well, because I do think that like my legitimate answer to this question would be yes, um, just because of everything that's happening. And it's not like, yes, it's going to be bad just for the midterm elections, like Spencer says. I think it's like, yes, it's bad because it's also like a bleak outlook for 2024 um, presidential elections. 
we don't know obviously what's going to happen in 2024 it's like literally two years out will this podcast even exist two years out kind of question we don't know so it is things to think about because that's what people are talking about when midterm elections roll around it is usually an indication for how the presidential elections for the next election cycle is going to look too um so honestly lots of things to consider lots of things to think about oh and the other thing that i think i mentioned but probably didn't mention in like the other recording was just that like you know biden did win the popular vote and even when president i'm like i can't say former now even when former president trump was like running against hillary clinton he didn't win the popular vote he won the electoral vote but he did not win the popular vote and that is usually like more important for senate elections um, there's one other part that I'm going to add here, uh, and I'll make this quick for you, you, because I understand it's 1240 uh, over there. Those, like, once again, we don't fully trust the polls, but the polls do indicate that even the Republicans are kind of wanting to walk away from Trump. If if I don't if you can find like one of those websites that says that and like add that to the source or something, because that is a thing that is happening. Now, what that means is the Republican Party is evidently finding somebody and kind of moving more extreme, which might sound bad on paper, and it's kind of because it is. But that happens with both parties because that's the way our society works nowadays. Um, This is a tough, tough thing if you're a Republican, right? Because if Republicans believe that Trump is not the ideal candidate and they don't want to, they kind of want him in the past, why are they going to vote with him? They're looking for somebody that's more, they're looking for somebody that's more like a little bit more right now. Okay, they're kind of moving, they're they're moving away from Trump, but they're going to be moving in a more right direction. And that is a pretty scary thought if you're Republicans running for the running for a Senate seat. Um that doesn't give you a very that doesn't give you good thoughts or good odds, I would say. Uh, so if we're trying to veer away from Trump, why would we want to be voting for people that are endorsed by him? So yeah, we we talked about. I was going to make bold predictions at the beginning of the episode. I think we'll have a Democratic Senate and a Republican House. Um, I think it'll be very similar to Obama's term, Obama's first term. And what should on that below what you think? <laughs> in in theory, here you you we've talked a lot of we've actually talked about his approval rating right a little bit. It would be one of President Biden's big things that he ran on was bipartisanship. And really thinking about this now that I kind of thought about this a little bit now, um, if we have a Republican House and Democratic Senate, 
man, is his approval going to do really well for the next two years? He will get really good approval ratings from the public because bipartisanship does a good job with approval. Um, if Republicans win the House, Biden's goal of bipartisanship and his approval rating will definitely soar. Um, he will look a lot better. And maybe that's a good thing for or for Democrats in coming in 2024. So honestly, maybe people vote in the House. Coming back to the first question, even though we shouldn't be, people are voting for the people might vote for Republicans in the House to get bipartisanship out of Biden. I think that's like really interesting. Um, but honestly, I think we'll see like what ends ultimately ends up happening uh, for votes and stuff. Senate elections, definitely an eye, uh, or like definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, but kind of like adding on to an earlier bit that you talked about in terms of just like indication that the GOP is moving away from Trump and like the Trumpian rhetoric is what media has painted it as, mainly just that like there is even evidence now that GOP members are moving away from Trump and trying not to endorse him to be a primary for 2024 presidential elections. And we can already see that with like the evidence that we provided within this video where some GOP members are retiring because they just don't want to see what ends up happening in these primaries or just sick of what's going on with politics and kind of like their party. And we also see kind of like the January 6th hearing being something that was bipartisan and endorsed by like a couple of Republican members um, and that like just shows some members are just not here for it. <laughs> I guess it's like the best way to put it in simple terms. Um, and so those are really good things to also look at and kind of do a little bit more digging and research on your own time too. Um, I will say though, we'll see what happens. I think regardless of, regardless of what happens, it, there is like an indication of pretty good bipartisanship especially throughout what has happened so far in Congress. For example, the like past couple of bills that I've mentioned that we've ended up passing um, and like signing into law, which is like a really big deal because it really seemed like, you know, the Biden administration slash Congress was picking it up, um, getting things signed, getting things negotiated, making bills bipartisan so that they can actually pass and become laws and have like real effects on people after they get signed into laws. Um, so I think even if it's a Republican majority house and a Democrat run Senate, that things will still happen and negotiations will still happen. Um, and honestly, there might be less likelihood of stalling. It just all depends on how um, Congress members communicate with each other and like negotiate with each other. I don't have anything more to add. So me neither. I know it's yeah. almost one o'clock for you. You, so we should yeah. probably let you, you sleep. <laughs> I don't sleep. I don't know what you're talking about Spencer. 
But I hope you get the one in the round. And if you don't, let us know how you did. Let us know how we did. Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe and check out our YouTube channel because it's awesome. And once you've subscribed to us, hit the bell so that you're notified of every single episode that we post before they end up going on the B1 Club podcast. Um, it does come early on the YouTube channel, so like that's a bonus and it really supports us and lets us know that we're doing a good job at providing enough content for you and the right content that you're interested in looking at. So be sure to do that. And also be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, both at the Half Hour Extent Podcast. We do polls, we do BTC, BTSs, I mean behind the scenes. I think I try to say S and scenes at the same time. We do Q&As, or we'll try to do more. I promise, season two will be better on social media. Like just trust us, we're getting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, following us on social media, media is also a really great way of helping us build the channel and letting us know what you think so that we can incorporate a lot of feedback from you and we want to talk to you. Let us know what's happening in the Wyoming circuit or any other circuit. We're so out of touch that we're here because <laughs> we compete on the circuit. So, with that being said, I thank you all for the support. Really, truly wouldn't have kept doing this if you didn't get any support at all. So we really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for listening throughout this whole episode. Our peculiar rants. Watch out for the blog post. And have a good time. You I hope you all like the new outro music. Thank you all so much for watching. And until next time. I'll see you later.